Welcome to It's Art, Let's Talk About It, a podcast sponsored by the Museum of Western Art in Kerrville, Texas. Located in the heart of the Texas Hill Country, the museum is dedicated to the preservation and promotion of the American West, especially through the art of the West. In this podcast series, we will visit with artists, art collectors, and gallery directors working in the Western art genre. We'll talk about the history and heritage of Western art, and we'll talk about why talking about Western art is so important. I'm Daryl Beecham, the executive director of the museum, and I'll be your host for It's Art. Let's talk about it. The podcast is a member of the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. In this episode, Daryl Beecham visits with cowboy artist of America, Ron Riddick. They discuss Ron's evolution in his artwork and his life pursuing a balance between commercial success and artistic integrity. I know you'll enjoy this episode of It's Art, Let's Talk About It. If you haven't done so, please visit the Museum of Western Art in Kerrville, Texas. We'd love for you. Today on It's Art, Let's Talk About It, we're joined by our good friend and a guy we've spent a lot of time with recently, our good friend, the CA artist, Ron Riddick. And good morning, Ron. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. We're glad to have you, man. This has been a, a tremendous ride for those of you who are not, are not aware of Ron's work. He's been a member of the Cowboy Artist of America for, oh gosh, a thousand years or so, 20-something at least, long, long time. And we've been in relationship since that time, and it's always been fun. And Ron, the podcast is called It's Art. Let's talk about it. So let's just get started. The first question I usually ask everybody on a podcast on It's Art, Let's Talk About it is, have you always been an artist? Are you one of those guys that woke up when you were three years old and said, this is what I'm going to do? Or did you stumble onto this midlife or something? Pertinier. Um, yeah. yeah. I grew up with a father who was the art director of Prudential Insurance Company. So In downtown it, Los Angeles? Downtown L.A. So I had the opportunity to, I remember when he had his shirts all pressed nice, there were cardboard sheets in the shirts, and I'd have a stack of them, and I'd always get to draw on them. So I started young, and I was doing all these little teeny circles and stuff. And my parents, actually, my mom kept those little funny circle drawings. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> but at a young age, I was always fascinated with it. My dad would take me after lunch at their, uh, in their office area. We would walk through the La Brea Tar Pits just north of their right, Prudential right. and then leave there and go to the L.A. County Art Museum. Wow. Wow. And I would walk hand in hand and see these magnificent, big, beautiful paintings. John Singer Sargent, George Bellows, Henry. It was an education, and I began to realize that that's art. And the hidden message in that was, it's big. And I always was fascinated with large works. And to this day, I'm still fascinated with large works. As yeah, you don't do miniatures very often, do you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, they're hard because those little brushes, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Let's I, talk about your art, though, as a kid growing up. I mean, you went to art school. You went on to the Art Institute. Yeah. Art Center, Art Center College of Design, down to Marlboro Girls School. And oh, it was a great experience. Learned all about the disciplines of art, especially through a commercial context. It was deadlines, it was design, it was fast on your feet. Come up with good ideas. The practical aspects, the disciplines of the fine art, of the arts, not so much fine art. 
And it wasn't until after I left school and was an art director in a, in a firm, met a friend of mine who had a print atelier. Okay, he tell was, us about that. Yeah. yeah, he was producing these etchings. And I thought, okay. boy, that's wild. And he said, there's my library. Start studying. And I did. I got every book I could, and I read it from cover to cover, and I learned all about printmaking from etchings <coughs> and prints, serographs, which are silk screens collagraphs, which are handmade plates, and on. And I learned about the graphic art industry, the galleries, the multiple paper art experience. And it was an eye-opener for understanding how the art world works. You have galleries, you have reps, you have factors involved in it, helping financially. You have advertising, you have uh, traveling reps, you have portfolios of your images and so on. But through that all and years of that, then he left the business and I bought him out and I started my own company doing it. Hired some real good friends that I had met and we were producing just tons of wonderful graphic arts. But I still wasn't in touch with the real spirit of fine art. A good friend of mine from Art Center, Dan Pinkham, who we're still good buddies today, do a lot of painting together. Anyway, Dan was studying with a Russian painter by the name of Sergei Bongard. Okay. And boy, that opened the door. I said, what do you mean Russian painter? You know, like, <laughs> you painting houses? Yeah. Uh, so he says, you need to come over to my apartment and see what I'm doing. And I went over there, and it was stunning. He had portraits, landscape, plain air, figurative, nudes. He had still lives. And it just dawned on me that I hadn't become aware of what it meant to just paint your world. That was art created with love, though. It was. Yeah. And it was all about painting your world. you got a short lifespan. Paint your world. Paint what you love. Paint the things that are meaningful to you. Have an interest. Study it. In fact, Sergei used to say, always paint a lot about a little. Don't paint a little about a lot. Oh, okay. In other That's words, cool. yeah. get, get interested. Study something. Fall in love with it. Find the poetry. Find the story. Fall in love with that. You go outside, you find this rim-lit, beautiful thing on this skyline and this cloud coming down to this tree and this edge of a mountain and its horses grazing. You catch that, even if it's in your memory, because as you, when you're outside, painting is changing so quick, yeah, so quickly. So you catch the poetry. And that was a revelation to me. It wasn't just doing another design to satisfy a client. And they say, yeah, I like this part, but you got to change this part. So you go back to your studio and bing, bing. You're trying to make money. You come back. You're always pleasing the client. This is more of learning to please the art spirit inside of you. So in my studies, learning to read and study and see those artists in history that were doing that. The Art Spirit by Robert Henry. Life-changing book. A lot of artists haven't ever read it. Um, Charles W. Hawthorne on Pain. Oh, my gosh. It was produced from all of the writings of his students after he passed away. They put together this book. And so those kind of inspirational things took art from a practical level to almost a, a spiritual, life-changing right. level, for real. And what, when, what point in the career did, did that happen? How old were you when that happened? I was in my, I was in my 20s, really. Yeah. So early f- 20s. 50 years ago. 50 years Coming ago. up, yeah. yeah. Since then, I've been trying to understand that um, that journey, and it is just a, a journey. You don't arrive. A lot of artists think 
Oh, Ron must be really nice to have arrived. You must feel really <laughs> comfortable arriving. You don't and, feel like you've arrived? And then I think, You won every award that can be won, right? You've been a member of the Cowboy Artist of America for, gosh, 25 years. Yeah. You won all of their awards. Yeah. I know that because I was at a lot of the work uh, at things where you won. All but sculpture. Yeah, I was right. You, you, all you do is people like Jason Skull don't want you trying that or that's you might a, end up yeah. beating them on. But, you. but you won every award. Yeah. I mean, you don't feel like you've arrived? You're 71, well, 71 years 71, old. 71. The thought came to me, and I heard it somewhere, but it stuck. If you think you've arrived, you have nowhere to go. <laughs> ding, ding. Yeah, ding, ding. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. And the diligent ones... The alert ones, though those paying attention, are willing to adjust their road. It's not just getting known for doing something. And all of us have our favorite things to paint. Monet, look at it. He had cathedrals. And, sure. He did water lilies. Yeah. And water lilies. Yeah. yeah. And haystacks. And haystacks. And he yeah. did them over and over because he was fascinated with it. Yeah. Same with us on our journey. I fell in love with the West, coming from California. Right, so tell me that story. How did a, had a boy from Los Angeles, yeah. from the La Brea tar pit area yeah. of L.A., yeah. get to Tucson and well, Montana, respectfully, and become such a, a known Western artist? Good question. And really two major uh, inputs. My uncle, my mom's oldest brother, was a rancher. And he had a gorgeous ranch up in Northern California, Weed Mount Shasta. And it was the Quarter Circle DJ Ranch. And I'd go visit when I was a kid. And it was like, why wasn't I born here on this <laughs> ranch? It was everything like inside a boy you'd want to do. Okay. Uh, but it's, it was the guy thing. And so yeah. cowboys... He had cowboys. It's about as far removed from L.A. and the Hollywood Walk of Fame and Hollywood as you can and get. And Hollywood. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. We had the heroes, the heroines. We had the adventure. We had the, the uh, danger. We had the stories. And so I connected to that. It's almost like the old saying, there's two kind of people. You have pioneers and you have settlers. And at some point in life, you'll probably be both. But something in your DNA wants you to explore. What's over that mountain? Uh, if I come back all shot up, let's not go that way. Yeah. Or I want to be on my property with my picket fence and my rocking chair and my gun. Yeah. And that was like two kinds of people, the, those that want to have something and hang on to it and those that don't have their address written on uh, a street. Their address is in their heart, yeah. and they keep searching. So you went to the uncle, went to the, we spent yeah. a lot of time in the ranch. yeah. Right. And it grew to love horses, cattle, right. cowboys, and so on. Along the journey, I met my wife, Natalie, in Tucson. Yeah, moved from California to Tucson. And that was significant because you get myopic in California, you think that's the end of all places. Right. And in many regards, it, it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So you moved from L.A., to Tucson. And that's where you met probably one of the most important people in your life, art changer, life changer, your good your partner and your your wife Natalie. That's true. Let's talk about Natalie for a second cuz she's worthy of her own podcast. I tell you, you got that. Oh, she is a dynamic woman and effervescent, energetic, visionary. She understands business. She has gifts and talents that are just constantly amazing. Oldest of 7. So she has that clucking thing where she brings everybody together, okay. keeps them going in the right direction. After we met, I began to realize she said to me, 
wow, you're good enough to be famous. And I said, I'm working on it. And she says, it looks like you need some help. Let's work a little harder. <laughs> yeah. 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 So sh she was in the horse world. And at one point we had, I think, 15 horses wow. that we were raising, breeding, showing. And it was wonderful. So I learned so much about the equine world and changed my perspective on how to paint horses, the communication of horses, the movement, and so on. But beside that, she was, you know how many artists have to deal with so much in their life from ordering frames, ordering nameplates, ordering crates, sure. ordering supplies, keeping up with gallery dates, deadlines, advertising, all of the minutiae. Not to mention the minutia of living. And fortunately, Natalie's an awesome cook, so she loves to cook. So we had to buy some freezers because she's used to cooking big. Coming from the oldest of seven in a family. <laughs> she's, and yet it's beautiful because she'll say, hey, let's invite so-and-so over. And someone has a friend, bring him along. So she was always open to sharing her home, her gifts, her talents. And I learned from that. That was a value. You guys started this journey together 40-something years ago. We did. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, did. And we're fortunate because I think that the concept of wind beneath your wings, yeah. that's real. And I've talked about it a lot. You want to, if you meet Ron Riddick, that's one thing. But if you want to do business with him, you got to go through Natalie. <laughs> yeah, and, that's true. Bless her heart. She clears the runway if I have to take off. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's and, exciting. And if I have to land, she's there. So you kicked off your career as a fine artist in what year? When? About that time? No, it was before that. Okay. It was before that. It was after I was studying with Sergey Bongar. I came out of, I started in the print world about early 70s, and that lasted. I moved actually into Arizona in about 78. Okay. And I was doing <clears throat> fine art work then. The print world loved prints, but they said, do you have any one-of-a-kinds? And I said, you bet. So I started doing everything from drawings to monotypes or right. one-of-a-kind painted prints on paper, and then started doing the oils, the watercolors, the pastels, and so on. And I loved it. I just loved it. At what point did you become a Western artist? I was doing it back in California. I think we were all influenced by that Hollywood right. experience, the Marlboro Man and the outdoors and the the courageous cowboy and the lore, the myth. And I was so fascinated with that. And of course, being that I had an uncle and I vicariously wanted to live that life, even though I was raised in LA. Fortunately, Natalie in the horse world, next ranch, we had horses everywhere. And so I was in it and we were showing, breeding, going to ranches, learning, watching, just literally absorbed in the West. But I also fell in love with the cultural exchange, fell in love with the intersection of the Mexican-American, the Native American, the sunlight. I started, after I studied with Sergei Bongart, the Russian right. painter that my friend Dan introduced me to, I realized I was way back at the beginning. I hadn't even begun to really understand painting from your heart. Using your heart, using your brain, and then the hands with the gift that God gives you. As I was saying a little earlier, there's that movie Chariots of Fire right. where Eric Little right. realizes that he said, God gave me a gift to run fast, and when I do, I feel his pleasure. Do you think God's given you a gift to paint? I do. I think it, it's a combination of a hunger to communicate 
whether it's words or whether it's music right. or whether it's paint or maybe it's a gift with uh, cooking. Maybe it's a gift with people, managing people, managing money, learning to write, learning to orchestrate things, keep things moving forward. Those are gifts, and I have some of those gifts manifested in the art world. I think the gene pool was there because of my family. Yeah. My grandpa, my dad's dad, was a cartoonist. He studied to be an architect. And his wife, my grandma, my dad's mom, she was a very talented watercolorist. So it was there. It's like Mozart was born to be a musician. Yeah, you come from a long line of people yeah, who created. I really yeah. do. And fortunately, yeah. I had a little bit of wind on the embers at a young age. We Teach, have a lot of people teachers. who listen to this podcast, young artists, especially you know. new artists. And one of the questions they always want me to ask is, who inspired you? Who can they go to? Who, whose works can they study to say? Because there's a lot of artists out there digging through them, the wheat and the chaff kind of thing. Yeah. You mentioned Sergey. Sergey. Who else would you were you inspired by? Back in those days, we had favorite illustrators. And so there's a handful of them, just magnificent. Andrew Loomis was one of my heroes because he not only could do it, but he also showed you how, told you principles. And as I began to study, I found heroes mostly in the pages of history, not so much contemporaries. Oh, I love the Harold von Schmids and right. some of the dear people that I got to meet through, say, the Artists of America show in Denver. It was a Rotarian show for years. Yeah. And I got to meet the greats, Bettina Steinke and Donald Teague. Yeah, what a great artist. Yeah, and a gentleman. And a gentleman, yeah. The last of a school. But the interesting realization was they were trained in illustration, but their real love was painting, fine right. art. It was fine art. Right. And not always had the chance to do that, even Norman Rockwell. I, we were fortunate to study in Germany, and I was in the Pinakothek Museum in Munich, and I found this fabulous artist. His name was Wilhelm Leibel. Okay, I thought, wow, this is awesome work. And yeah. I started studying it. And I came back, and I was at the Artists of America show, and I'm talking to Donald Teague, and I said, I found this great German artist, unbelievable, Wilhelm Leibel. And he threw his head back and laughed. He's in a wheelchair. He, he laughed, and he said, you know the first person that told me about Wilhelm Leibel? I said, who? He said, you, you just would hardly believe this Norman Rockwell. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. So yeah. these great illustrators we look at that we grew up with, right. They were influenced by great art, too. And unless you're a student of that, unless you break free of what the industry wants you to be, learn to find your vision. It, it's all about learning to see yeah. and think. But the stories of the West were what attracted me. I know a story that you've told several times. I've heard you tell about an influence that you have by Soroya. Oh boy! And talk to tell people tell that story for me. Okay. A, this is such a great little story it's, about it's, you're not only getting to look at Soroya's work, but having a kind of a deep dive into his life yeah. when you visited Spain. Yeah. For those of you that have never heard the name Joaquin Soroya, e the last name was a holdover from his mother's maiden right. name. But you can look up Soroya. S O R O L A. Yeah. Look it up. They used to say he held sunlight in his brush. Yeah. He painted his world, the children on the beach, the women, the babies, the, the horses coming in and out of the surf, the <laughs> sails, the boats. And, of course, being raised in California, I love the water. I grew up around the ocean. People say, don't you miss it? I said, no, I had my fair share of it. Yeah. Now we trade that off for the mountains, 
a little more rustic and wild. But anyway, we learned that in New York was the Hispanic Society. And if you go to New York... You should go. Yeah, absolutely. You'd need to see it. It's his monumental last major commission called the Provinces of Spain. Mm -hmm. It'll change your life. (coughs) Then we heard that he had his home in Madrid, which is a museum, Museo Sorolla. So we were fortunate to be able to go to um, Spain a number of times, and each time we made the the trip to the museum. One time, I was there in the museum, and of course I'm studying like crazy, and Natalie is, God love her, she's there, but she's sitting down watching me, waiting for me. Anyway, so I heard this little creak of door behind this corner easel that had a beautiful painting of Soroy's wife, Clotilda, and out comes this little man, and he walks by, and I said, Natalie, that's Soroy's grandson. She says, how do you know that? Ray Kinsler back at Artists of America had a Polaroid, the click. And he showed it to me, and he says, look at this, Ron. This is the master's grandson. And here I am with him. I focused in on that face, and I knew it was him. So I ran. Natalie says, go down and meet him. So, of course, I thought, yeah, I should do that. So I go down the stairs, meet him, have this nice conversation in broken Spanish with him, but he introduces his daughter. Now, this is the great-granddaughter. Her name is Blanca Ruiz. She's the one putting together the shows, Soroya, that are traveling the country. Right now, there's one in Dallas. Uh, yeah. And writing the books. And writing the books and stuff. The and there, there's a plethora of good reference material of Soroya's right. work. So the reason I think I was so attracted was the sun, the color, the love of his people. So you met the grandson. Met the grandson. He, to- he told and you. the granddaughter. There's a picture and, of him. And the great-granddaughter yeah. says... Are you in Madrid long? And we said, we're not going to be here too long. But she says, it's right near Christmas, very busy time. Could you come back in January? And, of course, I thought, absolutely. And so we did. We came back in January. And she says, we'd love to show you our home and our private collection. Wow. And it was a wow moment. Yeah. So we came back in January, and we bought some beautiful flowers on the street. We come to the house. We offer them to the maid. She goes off to put them in a big vase. And here comes Ponzarno, which is the grandson. And he just looked magnificent, a little Spanish man, a little fellow. And he invites us in, and then Blanca Ruiz shows up. And as we're standing there in the entrance of the house, there's a watercolor up on the wall right, right to our left. And, of course, I recognize it because I devoured the book. And I right. understand once we light onto a painting in our memory, it's solid. In this painting this watercolor, it is Soroy's wife, Clotilda. And Nursing the, the son, their the, son. The firstborn right. daughter. Right, okay. Maria. Maria, okay. And next to them in the painting is this bassinet with a pink ribbon. Okay. So as we're looking at this, just marveling at the real thing, yeah. the grandson says, Mi madre. He's pointing to the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he walks over to this little accordion closet and he pushes it to the side with his hands trembling, reaches up, and pulls out the bassinet with a pink ribbon. No, with the pink ribbon on And it. sets it down on the table. <laughs> That's good stuff. Right and we all just, our eyes teared up. The power of art to remember and record the things you love that are valuable to you. Yeah. yeah. Goose yeah. skin. Goose, goose bumpies. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, it, that was a significant moment, changed my life, and I realized... We only have so many years while we're alive. We need to use those years to paint the things we love, the things that interest us, that are that are special, to record it for history's sake, for family's sake, for for country's sake. 
And so those kinds of themes started coming out more in my work. I began to realize there's universal themes. And those universal themes, we need to be reminded of beauty. God knows the world's going south. And it's full of such conflict. And we're seeing strong pillars that are beautiful being torn down. And so the artist has a responsibility, in my opinion, my art perspective, to reinforce those strengths for society. The world doesn't need another pretty picture. It needs a good story. It needs a preacher to shake them up a little. It needs a magnificent song that you become speechless. When we go to a museum, there's paintings that are so favorite to us. You just have to sit there and keep looking. Each time you go to that museum, you got to see that one. And that's the way it is with good art. It connects to the human spirit, the soul of a person, the heart of a person. Those are things that are valuable. We're visiting today with our good friend Ron Riddick, noted Western artist. And Ron, one of the things that that we love to talk about on the show is, is the individual works. And for those of you playing along, and a lot of people do this, Ron, they, they'll look at our website, they'll pull up the podcast, but what they'll find on there is, is not only a reference to your website, a place where they can go look at your work, but we'll, we'll put some of the, your works up. Yeah. You're known for, oh gosh, the beautiful water maidens, the Lakota yeah. water maidens, and yeah. before the council, and these magnificent, majestic paintings. Yeah. Do you think you have a style? People walk in a room, it's very distinctive to say, well, that's Ron Riddick. Yeah. What made that style happen? What is the Ron Riddick style of painting? I think we as artists, we borrow, in fact, in the commercial world, we used to call it swipe file. <laughs> we'd get things we loved. Artists' works, we'd put them in a swipe file. Oh, that's a perfect horse. I love it. And you'd get that artist rendition. Sure. So I think you compile those in your brain psyche memory. And out of those, you draw something strong. Might be their use of color. Might be the way they draw. Might be their, their combination of brushwork or brush and knife work. And so somewhere between your personality and your tools that you use starts to grow your style, your signature. And like in school, we used to do A, just like the teacher. Okay, everybody do it just like the teacher. B, C. Break off on your own. And then pretty soon, what? You get your own signature. And that's the way it is with art. So for me, uh, I have one foot in the school of color, the colorist school. And I have one foot in the, the classic rendering salon almost where you're using draftsmanship you're drawing your accurate value rendering and so on so a lot of it is observation measurements you know but like the colorist says i don't need to make a dark shadow i just make a cool shadow next to the warm sunlight so all of a sudden words like temperature start to affect your thinking you don't have to you don't have to be dark in a shadow just be luminous so the human eye is the great teacher. So learning to go outside and paint, and even if you've never done it, you got to go out and struggle with it. So that, wow, the human eye is a big teacher, yeah. and it records things differently than a camera. But, but artists today have a tendency to use the tool as a crutch right? as opposed to a tool. Use it as a tool, we all do. Learning to interpret photography is the secret, though. And so I think my love of water, I grew up with it. So 
So I'm fascinated with water and reflection. You have a lot of water in your paintings. I do. A lot of and, the hints of water. And I painted boats like crazy in California. Monsoon afternoon and yeah, yeah. Schlicker hey, reunion. Exactly. Of, yeah. Reflections and reflections uh, of water. Yeah. yeah. And moving water. And I've just always been fascinated with it. So Cloud. that clouds, a lot fine. of clouds yeah. in your work. Yeah. Love to look up. Love to be inspired by this. The What's your typical painting day look like? Are you one of those get up at four in the morning and paint till you drop it? Or I get up at about five. Where has it changed? Five, somewhere between five and five thirty. Our dogs, one of them woofs, yeah. and we have Australian shepherds. And uh, I get up with them, get some coffee going, sit there and watch the sunrise. And that, of course, is Monday, and I didn't get that so much in Arizona. But those moments where you're still quiet and can listen a little bit. Then you see seasons. Seasons are changing. These wonderful cycles and learning to feel and understand that in your art. I've always tried, even though I had themes that I got close to, I tried to say them different. Backlit, frontlit, sidelit, stormy day, bright sunny day, snow, mud, water, people in different life situations. It's about water. Water is a lot of it. Do you paint every day? As a rule, pretty much. Pretty much as a rule, you paint every day. Pretty much, yeah. You need breaks. You need to catch a fresh glimpse. And oftentimes, you got to lay your brush down if you just make a mistake after mistake. Lay it down. A lot of people love talking about artist studios. There's even a couple yeah. of feature sections in the magazines, the art magazines, where yeah. they visit people's studios. And uh, I've seen pictures of your studio, and it's pretty spectacular, the one in Montana, yeah. certainly. Are you a clean painter or a messy painter, or but, do you have a lot of stuff going on at once? Yes. I'm trying to get inside the mind of the artist. Um, here. I think when I create, I do my best to stay orderly. I got to know where my paints are so there's not a random thing. I'm not going, ooh, where's Cad Red Medium? Yeah. So I'm orderly as far as my palette goes, like a keyboard on the piano. You got to know where your note is. As far as making sure I hit the trash can with every rag I throw, nah. They're load. They're all over the place, and there's paint on the wall and paint on my easel and stuff. Sure, but you you got to stay focused on it, and it's an, an artist's ability to stay focused that has a follow through on a good painting. And people are fascinated by that. The look at an artist's studio, trying to get inside the artist's mind. Our dear friend Jason Skull, for example, and we talk about him here because he's the artist in residence at the program. His studio is an absolute disaster. It looks like it exploded, <laughs> and yet. To his credit, he finds everything. He knows where everything is. Right. And I guess that works for him, right? Right. right. And I've, I've gone into other studios where, man, everything was just perfectly lined up and yeah. cleaned, almost like a, for a photograph. Yeah, and they always say if you want to get something done, don't give it to someone with a clean desk. Yeah. Get it to someone that's got some piles and they're working. So I'm a work in progress. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm changing. I got books open. I've got references here and there. I got maybe a little palette over here with mixtures of color and so on. And it's it's still a journey, though. It's a total journey. And you don't arrive. You just keep on growing. Let's talk about the Cowboy Artist of America. You are a member of arguably one of the most prestigious groups in the art world, certainly the Western art world, art movement. You joined that group in 1997. Let's talk about that group. Relevance today, the CA is still important. It'll always be relevant because uh, it represents the love of so much of America, the West, once again. With and so many good friends. I've got so many so of my many. artists, good friends isn't, in there. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. You have those that came close to in, and being involved in CA that were never raised in a saddle, 
their daddy never rode right, a horse. Right, right. But they had a love and a passion for the West. I think that's the thing that, that overrides everything is their love and passion for the American West. Exactly. Even though they can't ride. It started with guys like Joe Beeler who could ride. The and, real deal. Yeah. The real deal. Yeah. Died in the saddle. And you know? yet yeah. in those moments where it was turning into a, a business, it was becoming the Rolls Royce on the Western Art Highway. It was becoming the filet mignon on the, min, on the menu. That was because there were many artists that were highly polished, and each facet of that gem was polished, but different. Yeah. So they complemented. The styles were different. Their take was different. Their narratives were different. Look at Howard Turpening, the love and passion of the right. Native Shows through. Sure. the history. And scholarly and a student. And then there's those that knew everything about the West because they grew up with it. Right. And so you have to find your place in that. And for me... As I was borrowing from the greats of history, I found with one foot in that color school, with one foot in the academic school, I found that I had accurate paintings, but they were colorful and fresh and a little different message, a little different take. And so I got to bring to the Cowboy Artists of America. It was an honor to be in the group. It was These guys were literally legends. Right. And so on their shoulders, we were growing and changing and, and right. evolving. Like all things, though, it changes. You took emeritus status with that. It means you're one of the old guys. You took yeah. retired from that group yeah. a couple of years back. As life throws it, we moved to Natalie and I were in Arizona over 40 years. I believe. Right. But at that juncture of our life, we loved it there. Our families wanted to come right. and be there, too. And so moms and dads were all there. And it was a period of time where... They were all in their upper 80s. They were all starting. The, the wheels were coming off right. the wagon. And it started to get pretty So you hard. decided, you guys decided to make a, a little change. So now yeah. you have a foot in Arizona. Yeah. And a foot in? Montana. Columbia Falls, Montana. Columbia Falls, magnificent. At the base of Glacier National Park, right, right. just east of Kalispell and northeast of uh, Flathead Lake. It's beautiful up there and inspirational. And we have enough room for horses, albeit We've grown out of that. <laughs> so we have dogs. They're a lot smaller and easier to handle. Don't take us. as much feed either. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I'll tell you. And they think they're in heaven. Yeah. They're like... You took emeritus status from the CA, though, a couple of years back, but you're still involved in their annual show. Yeah. You still show with them. You still... You bet. And you uh, we'll continue, too, because you there's a point where you, as an older a person, you start to say, let's let the young bucks run it, <laughs> and we'll just be there if they need us. Yeah, we encourage our listeners, though, if you don't know about the Cowboy Artist of America, go out to Cowboy Artist of America. They've got a great website. There'll be everything you need to know about the CA. And this museum started as was the Cowboy Artist of America Museum, so we still have ties, great ties to the yes. CA. We'll be yes. doing workshops this coming summer, Excellent. 2024. Yep. Let's talk about workshops for a second. You, one of the reasons you built your studio in Montana is so that you yeah. maybe can start teaching a little more. Yeah. I've always enjoyed teaching and have been blessed. To, Natalie and I have done some workshops all over the country, right. some art institutes, some art schools, and so on, the Fashion Institute up in, up in Taos. The experience is I love what I do, but I can also share it, and it makes sense to people, so I can articulate it as well as show them. Right. The good aspect of that is people need they need a leg up. They need help. And oftentimes they get trapped in a repetitive thing because they're so wanting to make money. they got to get it out there. And so what we do is we put the brakes on that thinking a little bit and say, let's talk about the work. Let's see what's working for you. Right. Let's see what's working against you. 
And all of a sudden, the pressure is not, you're failing here. The pressure is, we're all growing. We're all learning and changing. Let's learn some more. So workshops coming up. Yeah, workshops should be coming up this next summer. The studio, we found an old pole barn on our property, and we just started working on it. I walked into it, looked around, and I said, this is it. This is the studio. (laughs) And it's a kind of a life dream. When I was young, I used to get books about converting barns into living spaces. Really wild. But the workshops, it was almost like a voice said to me. We were looking at each other in our 70s now, and we said, God. Do we still want to be on the... <laughs> do we want to do this, take on a project do like we, this? Do we, no, it was more like, do we really still want to be a part of the art circus where we're constantly right. grabbing for the award? And right. I've been fortunate to gain a number of awards and accolades. But you don't rest on that. You're only as good as your next painting. Right. And so it just came like a quiet voice. Pass it on. And so that's where we said, that's it. We need to just teach. They're not teaching this stuff in schools. Right. They're just not, Daryl. So, so you're spending time in, in Arizona in the winter, yeah, pretty much. And My wife likes Montana. to thaw out. <laughs> uh, I could, having been there five years in Montana, I understand that. I know I really you do. do. Yeah, I could I don the snow outfit and get out there with a snowblower. It's be, one of the greatest places on earth, but man, it does get cold. And yeah, I'm a southern boy. So. Yeah, and I have high hopes of saying, no, this is my, this is it. But I think realistically, we need to thaw out. So we got a foot in both. <laughs> and, it, and it's a beautiful place. Talk about the importance of workshops, too, or continuing education, if you will, to young artists. Oh, yeah. And again, we have a lot of listeners who uh, they, they say they're, they're new, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I don't know what that means, how new is new, because we've got artists I know have been in the game a long time. But uh, what's the best way to grow? How do you get better? Here's the deal. Even Jason Skull told this to me, said, all the professionals, all these master professionals, these high-up folks, all started out as beginners. Right. right. And those dedicated to growing are willing to change. Change is inevitable. Without change, you never, without turning left and having a dead end, you'll never know that I don't want to go down that way. So you need to expose yourself, push, learn, grapple with issues because fine art, the name fine, there's a purpose. What does fine mean? You have to decide what that means for you. Could be that it's just every skill is there from how they maneuver the paint, how they communicate, how they draw, how they see light, color, shadows, form. Can they paint a chicken? Can they paint a tree? Can they paint a horse? And you can't paint that unless you go out and struggle with it. You can't paint a cloud unless you go out and struggle with understanding what a cloud kind of is. The theme I hear is that you just got to paint. You have to paint a lot. You have to paint a lot. About a little. Yeah. Yeah. We had an artist uh, dinner one night while you were here, and uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me was all the artists you were talking to, the local artists, regional artists that we right. brought in to eat Ron Riddick. Great night. And it was, it was a fun night. And I, I kept looking over, hoping as a host, you want the conversations to go well. I didn't have any problem. These guys are showing pictures of their works, and yeah. you're you're blowing them up a little bit. And no, no, no do this, do the, think about this, think yeah. about this, and you can see the lights coming on in some people. Yeah. And then even I saw you take a couple of notes in your own mind of that's a good idea. The students are teaching the master, if you well, will. Yeah, you all. You're always learning. You all learn from each other. You do. And like I said, those people that think they've arrived really have nowhere to go. And there's a lot of guys that blow hard on the horn, (laughs) and they're worthy on many levels. But the goal would be to pass it on, because if you can share what you know with others, 
and you see them grow, that's satisfying to me. And you had a chance this past week to meet a lot of the collectors in this area. Talk about the importance of collectors. You've had some great ones in your life. Anne Marion comes to mind, oh one of the great yeah. Four Sixes collectors. Yes. Oh, my goodness, what a fabulous collection she has, and she has a lot of Ron yeah. Riddick's. And it's she did ra- before she passed. Yeah. It's, it's rare that you come across people like that, and, and I don't have so many that it gives me a big head, but the ones and twos and threes and fours that have come along in life. To change your life, and literally. You even had dinner this week with one of our collectors here locally who I've known for five years now, but I didn't realize the collection was as good as it is. And we went into the yeah. home, and there's three Ron Riddicks, yeah. right? And he had and never met you. He had never had no right. reason to—it wasn't right. like it was a personal relationship. Yeah. But There's an integral <clears throat> relationship there where without the patrons, without the preferred collectors, we wouldn't be able to make it. And our gratitude— and thanks to them must always be present. People never get tired of being thanked for the way they support you. And I never get tired of saying thank you to these great collectors that have made our world work. Keeping them satisfied, you have to decide what that means for you. Right, right. You have to decide. Are you just going to crank out something because it sells? Or all of a sudden you're going to do a little different thing because you're interested in it? That's a challenge for an artist. We get hooked up on the idea that, golly, I could have sold four of those scenes. So the gallery says, pay me four more of those. And you're thinking, ooh, I could make some good money if I just paint four more of those. And next thing you know, you're doing it. And what happens? You become rote. All of a sudden, your passion dims. You become commercial. And all of a sudden, you got a shtick going. And that's what I witness about some artists that aren't willing to challenge themselves paint it different right you be the visionary you teach people where they can go with the west find a different way to say it rather than cowboy going to the left cowboy going (laughs) to the right like it's trite yeah and it gets boring and collectors will let you know that try and find it fresh say it uniquely say it different it sounds like you've you're you're enjoying the journey yeah, with boy. the art. You talk about students a lot. You talk about your influences, people that you meet, the, the common man who doesn't know much about art. You have that conversation very easily with yeah, people. I do. And then collectors, and then collect port and collector base, yeah. other artists. Yeah. And so We need, like I said before, the world needs some beauty. And we get to shake them up a little bit with a message. And it just happens to be visual. Everybody connects to something visual. Oh, my gosh, look at that painting. Yeah. That was the... I remember that swing when I was a little kid. That My grandpa pushed me in a swing like that yeah. in, a, in our old oak tree. you got to have that painting because it reminds you of something solid. We're visiting with our good friend Ron Riddick, a known artist, Western artist, and a good supporter of the Museum of Western Art. And if you don't mind, Ron, a, a little plug here for the Museum of Western Art. You, you go back a long ways with this yeah. museum. 97. When you first showed up here. Sure so enough. Over 20-some-odd yeah. years. Sure enough. Talk about the importance of, of museums, this museum, to the Western art world. Why do we need museums? Why do we need places like the Museum of Western Art? Once again, it's the connection. It's the anchor in the world for art. It's the window where people can go and look in and go, wow. They can slow down their hectic life pace, walk through, get totally engrossed in or absorbed in or lost in looking at a painting, sculpture, I just marvel at the sculpture you have here. This museum is fabulous. Yeah. 
the monuments, the small pieces, the miniatures. It's great. And then you're learning about history. There's firearms, and then there's clothing, and then there's historic displays. All of it is, like I said, they're the solid anchor for us. We need that in society because it's not that you make a lot of money. It's that you're doing an invaluable service to culture right. by preserving what's good and putting it out there for people to be reminded. And we've got of. a fabulous collection here at the Museum of Western Art, and it includes a Ron Riddick painting, an early one, but yeah. always looking for more. But it's always fun. It's incredibly, like I say, a great journey. So it is. People want to find out more about Ron Riddick. How do we do that? I'm, yeah, both Natalie and I are a little digitally challenged being our age. <laughs> so we're not on that super cutting edge of, yeah, go to my website and find out. I just, we've been busy surviving and making life work. But we're in Montana. We're in Columbia Falls. And our phone number is in the book, R.S. Yeah. Riddick. And if they want to know where I am, they can contact Yeah, they can contact the Museum of Western Art. And you do have a website, or at least you have no website. No website. No website. That's, that's interesting. We had but it you, for but, a while. But, but then, it's real easy, though, to find your work, yeah. as we heard saw the other day. You just Google. You just get on the, your phone and say, show me R.S. Riddick paintings. And it's, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. They're so in there. There's a lot of them out there from yeah, there even are. the early days. There are. Yeah. I'm fortunate, even with the secondary market, the auction groups where people pass away, pass on their collections, and all of a sudden they end up on the secondary market. The artist is now competing with living artists, right. gal- galleries, right. and deceased artists' works right. in auctions. But I've been fortunate I don't have too many p- pieces pop up on the auction, fortunately. That's yet. Because they're really good. Yet. Yeah, people hang so people on are to hanging them, right. on to them. Yeah, I uh, hope that's the case. Yeah, yeah. but we, we are very, we just love uh, what we're doing. We're blessed to do what we do. We're grateful to have team players like yourself and all your staff here. Just a magnificent job. You are the gem, not just Kerrville, but Texas. You're a real gem of Texas. We appreciate that. And it's always been a, it's a pleasure always getting to know and meet people, the journey over the last 30 years that, that I've had with you. I have in my home two posters signed by you. Yeah from pre to west one of them from pre to yeah. west what lakota water maidens and before yeah. the council yeah. with those two yeah from different shows and you were kind enough back gosh 30 years ago talking about the trail yeah and we here we are on the trail here we are still on, here, the trail. on the trail and we've been visiting today with ron riddick r.s riddick the painter if you go out to the websites go out to the cowboy artist of america he'll talk they'll talk about him a lot there we'll post uh, things on our website about him and ron i just can't say and come by folks if you're listening come by the, the museum and get your ron riddick ap artist proof uh get your prints because Nat- natalie and ron have been kind enough to make a major donation to the museum uh, of their print collection and ron it is i can't tell you what a great honor what a great privilege it's been to, to spend this time with you and gosh it's like you say it's been a great journey i look and forward to many more years of going down the road it's our honor and our joy too because you've always been open kind friend and we're grateful for that now and it's a long journey you take turns left, turns right, but then here we are again. I look forward to sitting on the porch in Montana having a glass of tea watching the sun go down. <laughs> oh, my friend, you will be stunned. You will be stunned. Yeah, it's magnificent. We've been joined today by our good friend Ron Riddick. And, Ron, thank you for visiting with us on It's Art. Let's talk about it. Uh, a my, production of the Museum of Western Art here in Kerrville, Texas. And Ron, my, pl- my pleasure. Thanks, sir. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of It's Art, Let's Talk About It, a production of the Museum of Western Art in Kerrville, Texas. We hope you'll visit the museum in person. We're located at 1550 Bandera Highway in Kerrville, Texas. Find out more about us by going to www.museumofwesternart.com. And we hope you'll join us next time for It's Art, Let's Talk About It. The podcast is produced by the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. 